0: This is Guns and Butter.
1: Yeah, yeah. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there. Interesting enough that uh, Assange and WikiLeaks are able to get the New York Times and Der Spiegel and uh, the London Guardian to put this stuff out. Which, If you've ever done anything, if you've ever had something, an important story that the U.S. government and the U.S. establishment and Wall Street didn't want published, uh, you know that you don't get it in the New York Times. Uh, Spiegel was famous for their hysterical attacks on anybody who didn't believe the 9-11 official story. Uh, And, of course, the London Guardian is the left wing or center left, I guess you'd say, of British intelligence, MI6. And the London Guardian, I think, had the clearest. Their summary articles were, you know, why Pakistan is betraying the U.S. And secondly, what what the Iranians uh, are doing. And then the, the the top article, of course, was that why the Afghanistan war is essentially futile and already lost. So it, it fits in perfectly with with what's going on in the in the corridors of power.
0: I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Webster Tarpley. Today's show. The WikiLeaks Limited Hangout, and the Coming War with Iran. Webster Tarpley is an economic historian, author, and lecturer. He is author of Against Oligarchy, Surviving the Cataclysm, A Study of the World Financial Crisis, 9 11 Synthetic Terror Made in the USA, and co author of George Bush The Unauthorized Biography. His latest books are Obama, the Postmodern Coup, the Making of a Manchurian Candidate, and Obama, the Unauthorized Biography. Today we discuss his most recent article, Obama is Preparing to Bomb Iran, of July 21st, 2010. This article is 30 pages long and contains 70 footnotes. Webster Tarpley, welcome again. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, Webster, I'm looking at the New York Times, July 25th, 2010, Pakistan AIDS insurgency in Afghanistan reports assert, and of course the reports that we're referring to here are the WikiLeaks, this by Mark Mazzetti et al., now, the, the article says, quote, Lieutenant General Hamid Gull ran the ISI, of course, that's the Pakistani intelligence service, from 1987 to 1989, a time when Pakistani spies and the CIA joined forces to run guns and money to Afghan militias who were battling Soviet troops in Afghanistan. After the fighting stopped, he maintained his contacts with the former Mujahideen who would eventually transform themselves into the Taliban. And more than two decades later, it appears that General Gull is still at work. The documents indicate that he has worked tirelessly to reactivate his old networks, employing familiar allies like Julaluddin Haqqani and Gulbuddin Hekmetyar, whose networks of thousands of fighters are responsible for waves of violence in Afghanistan. General Gull is mentioned so many times in the reports, if they are to be believed, that it seems unlikely that Pakistan's current military and intelligence officials could not know of at least some of his wide-ranging activities. The United States has pushed the United Nations to put General Gull on a list of international terrorists, and top American officials said they believed he was an important link between active-duty Pakistani officers and militant groups. General Gull, who says he is retired and lives on his pension, dismissed the allegations as quote, absolute nonsense, speaking by telephone from his home in Rawalpindi, where the Pakistani army keeps its headquarters. Quote, I have had no hand in it, he added. American intelligence is pulling cotton wool over your eyes. Well, when I read this, I thought, well, Hamid Gull, he's the same retired head of the ISI who, after uh, the events of September 11, 2001, gave a public interview and said that 9-11 was an inside job. And here are the WikiLeaks documents, Are fingering him as an enemy of the United States, and claiming that, uh, insinuating that Pakistan is stabbing the U.S. in the back. And I thought to myself, well, now whose interests do these WikiLeaks serve? What do you think about this?
1: Well, first of all, I think that's the the relevant question that you very correctly asked, and it's a service to your to your listeners that you've that you've asked it. Now, I'll attempt to give uh, the answer that I would. that uh, I've tried to develop through research now in the past, uh, well, quite a few months, uh, it is that um, th- this document dump by WikiLeaks and by this uh, the leader of it, Julian Assange, uh, is an intelligence operation of the U.S. intelligence community. And we can be very sure that the documents in that document dump are, first of all, very low-level, Intelligence. They hardly rise to the level of secret. If they're classified as secret, they're over classified. They're really just uh, official use only, confidential, and if they're lucky, secret. But more importantly, that this low level intelligence has been carefully edited and cherry picked to do the tasks that are now urgent for the U.S. intelligence community as the U.S. prepares to lift and shift the current war deployments into a much wider and more dangerous uh, war. Now, the demonization of Pakistan, of course, has been the keystone to this entire policy, especially since Obama's uh, West Point speech of December 2009, which was in my reading of it, as well as uh, uh, the uh, correspondent of one of the Pakistani uh, television networks here that I've been in contact with, it's a declaration of war against Pakistan because it basically says the goal of the U.S. policy is to export the Afghan civil war into Pakistan and break up Pakistan to foment the rebellion of the Pashtun people and the Balochistan population against the central government there in Islamabad, the Punjabis and the Sindh population on the other side, and get a civil war that leads to the breakup of Pakistan four ways, perhaps, or perhaps even more. Uh, The reason for that in very brief terms is because if you're going to have an oil pipeline from Iran and the rest of the Middle East into China, it just about has to go through Pakistan. And uh, you could also have an oil pipeline from the Middle East into India. These are absolutely critical strategic things that the U.S., the British, and others don't want. So their goal is to destroy Pakistan. But there was always, in the middle of, of Obama's war policy, this rube goldberg aspect in other words uh, it made no sense even on the surface if your goal is this so-called al-qaeda which i think uh, doesn't really exist in the way that most people think it does uh... if you want to attack al-qaeda then go where you say they are. And, of course, the U.S. line is that al Qaeda is actually located in Pakistan, be it in Pashtunistan or Waziristan, the federally administered tribal areas of Pakistan, or in Baluchistan, in this place called Quetta. And we're told about the Quetta Shura that appears in the uh, papers where bin Laden supposedly goes. According to these papers, there is such a person as Osama bin Laden, he's alive which i think is this is quite fantastic mythological and he's not just a traveling theatrical company or a hologram speaking from Langley Virginia but he's a real uh, person and he goes to the Quetta Shura so you can see that that the the US goal had been then to foment those those rebellions now what i think we've got now is the situation is complicated because the, the whole institutional bureaucracy here in Washington is moving towards an attack on Iran, and it's moving towards an attack on Iran very, very rapidly. Um, let me just cite one or two predicates, if I may, just to establish why we're going towards this attack on Iran. And there were many reasons that we can go through. Uh, we're taping here on August 7th, and I would point people to a very. Interesting fact, Fidel Castro in Havana, the secretary of the Cuban Communist Party, has convoked a special session of the Cuban parliament today, and he gave them an address in which he says, the purpose of this is to discuss an imminent nuclear war between the United States on the one side, with Israel joining in, and on the other side, Iran and North Korea, he says. Uh, He says... um, Obama will give the order of the announced and expected attack, and Castro says, I want him to know that he will be ordering the instant death not only of hundreds of millions of people, including a countless number of people from his own country, but also of the U.S. troops and fleet around Iran. Now, uh, we had Ahmadinejad last week, the leader of Iran, saying that the U.S. is planning to attack two Middle Eastern countries. Over the next three months, we've had the first serious shooting incident uh, along the Israeli-Lebanese border. And, of course, Hezbollah in those Lebanese territories is a close ally of Iran, so we had a first shooting incident there since the war four years ago between Lebanon and Israel. And we've also had a, a, a kind of a dress rehearsal for a false flag event in the Straits of Hormuz, which is what uh, the United Arab Emirates, and I guess the U.S. now say, was a small boat loaded with explosives that did not even blow a hole in the side of a Japanese super tanker, but severely dented it and, and forced it to put into port. So, um We've got all kinds of threats going back and forth. Last Sunday on um, one of the television interview shows, Admiral Mullen, the U.S. uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said the United States has an active war plan to attack Iran. It turns out that that war plan would have been developed by the Central Command during the time that General Petraeus uh, was the commander there, Petraeus now having been elevated to almost Caesaresque or Napoleonic status by Obama by giving him the uh, the Afghan uh, front in the middle of all this. But I, I think we've got a, a very highly developed, extremely ominous pattern of uh, of intelligence that, that points to this attack on Iran. One more is that the new British Prime Minister, David Cameron, had, had a Freudian slip when he said in one of his speeches, we're doing what we're doing in the Middle East because Iran has a nuclear weapon already. Now, I think that guy's got a mind like a ragbag, and he repeats what what he's talking about inside Number 10 Downing Street. So maybe we'll get another Downing Street memorandum on this. But I think the the general pattern is clear. There had been a period of about two to two and a half years during which the danger of a of an attack on Iran, I think, was very low, partly because Zbigniew Brzezinski, George Soros, and their group were promising that with a uh, green revolution in Iran, with a, a kind of a color revolution or CIA people power coup, they could provide a government in Tehran, which would be anti-Russian and anti-Chinese. And indeed, that Musavi faction in the streets was always chanting, death to Russia, death to China. But that whole thing has failed. So there will be no color revolution in Iran. And rather, as Hillary Clinton complains, what you've got there looks pretty much like a, uh, a military government. looks a little bit like uh, Nasser in Egypt or uh, perhaps uh, the uh, military government in uh, in Iraq, under Qasem back in the uh, in the nineteen sixties and seventies uh, but it 's not a government of mullahs anymore, uh, but it 's not going to be what the u s uh, wants so it seems to me we are moving towards an attack on Iran now, if you then look at the region if your if your main goal is to subvert Pakistan and at the same time you're going to attack Iran, you've got to do something about your forces in Afghanistan, because as even Castro says in that brief quote that I gave you, if there is such an attack, the, the situation of the U.S. forces in Iraq and in Afghanistan could become very critical very fast, because they could be surrounded and indeed overrun by all kinds of pro-Iranian or Iranian irregular forces, volunteers, cutting supply lines, rendering communications impossible and so forth. This would be a regional war of of very, very grave significance with all kinds of paths to go nuclear. But among other things, you've got to get your forces uh, out of this very exposed position in Afghanistan. Now, I have in front of me the Wall Street Journal of Thursday, July 29th, and here we have something that's been, it's, it's now called in intelligence circles, jokingly known as the divine plan. And by divine plan, I don't mean uh, God's plan. I mean the plan developed by Jack Devine, former CIA deputy director of operations. So he's the head of the clandestine services, Mr. Wetwork. And what he basically says is uh, the conventional war in Afghanistan is uh, pointless. It's futile. Uh, You've got to get the Army and the Marines and the land forces in general out of there. What you need is predator drones flying overhead, killing people, with reckless abandon, and you need some special forces, perhaps. You need some CIA death squads. You need to negotiate with those drug lords and warlords that uh, essentially the U.S. has been working with. The ones that you just mentioned, right? Hekmatyar and the Haqqani Network are exactly the ones that the U.S. Uh, has turned to in the past, and the Northern Alliance. Don't forget them. Uh, and the goal will then be to have the CIA run Afghanistan with minimum uh, interference or presence of U.S. ground forces. This is what was known as the Biden plan during the debate about a year ago. But now here it is, dished up uh, in the same week as as WikiLeaks. Now, where does WikiLeaks, uh, and I should mention before leaving this, that The reason the CIA would like this, among other things, is that that would give them the ability to corner the world heroin and opium market. They could uh, essentially become the biggest drug lords in the world if they were total CIA control of Afghanistan, with no need to cut in anybody, anybody else.
0: I'm speaking with economic historian and author Webster Tarpley. Today's show, The WikiLeaks Limited Hangout and the Coming War with Iran. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter.
1: Now, if we look at the document dump by WikiLeaks, we will see that the mental map or the strategic configuration that emerges from the document dump is identical to the policies that seem to be gaining ground here in Washington at the moment. In other words, what I see here in Washington is the big idea is uh, it's time to uh, cut your losses in Afghanistan, if at all possible at least pulling your horns, uh, step up the uh, efforts to subvert uh, Pakistan and break up that government, Uh, anything you can do there. But above all, the centerpiece is now military aggression. And, of course, whether it's the Israelis who strike first and the U.S. gets plausible deniability or whether the U.S. strikes first and the Israelis uh, benefit from from being only the second ones in, uh, I think this is immaterial. We know from, from the article by Joe Klein in Time magazine that the planning is now joint. In other words, U.S. and Israeli planners have been working together under Petraeus to plan this uh, for the last uh, several years.
0: Webster, let me interrupt you here. Now, the United States government, uh, Strategic Command, etc., they've been drawing up plans to attack Iran for many years now. But you feel that presently that these things are escalating?
1: Yes, absolutely. And uh, I, th- I think that's, that's why I, I put a great deal of effort to get that intelligence picture out on July 21st. Now, it's been followed. Um, if you're familiar with the Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity, it's the group that's associated with, uh, with Ray McGovern and uh, some others. They have a statement here, I think dated August 4th, which is much narrower there we go, August 3rd, memorandum from the president uh, from Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity, subject war with Iran. Uh, We alert you to the likelihood that Israel will attack Iran as early as this month. This would likely lead to a wider war. So that at least they have. I think they leave out the the indispensable idea that the way war is going to come is either through a Gulf of Tonkin incident, sit like what we've just seen with that Japanese tanker getting uh, attacked with explosives in Hormuz, or through some kind of 9-11 event, in other words, a domestic-staged false flag uh, terror event. And on that, we have a guy named Shapiro, a uh, top official of the Clinton administration and a big Bilderberger Group activist, quoted in the London Financial Times, where he says if... Uh, Obama wants to assert his leadership, given the fact that he's lost the confidence of the American people, Obama would need either a new 9-11 or a new Oklahoma City domestic terrorism event so that he could look presidential. And this has to happen before November. Uh, Arnaud de Borchgrave, veteran uh, columnist, uh, TV debater, and so forth, with lots of uh, European intelligence uh, connections, has said that his diagnosis is he thinks Obama wants to have Three wars so that he can have two houses of Congress, and that would imply something in October. And again, this gets us back to Ahmadinejad, right? Attack two countries in three months. Now, at the end of my essay, I said uh, what you have to watch out for in these circumstances, is, of course, figured that that such an attack, if it comes, is going to be a sneak attack under cover of darkness. And the time, since you're dealing with these stealth bombers and stealth cruise missiles, they can be seen. They're not that fast. And they can be seen, and they can be shot down. So it's probably going to be in the dark of the moon. And the new moon is August 10th, September 8th, and October 7th. So I would regard those as periods of maximum danger. This is a dismal exercise that we learned back in 06 and 07 at the time of Operation Bite. Remember that one, the Good Friday attack on uh, Iran that had been trumpeted by uh, the Russian uh, intelligence agencies. And indeed, Ria Novosti is joining in again with the article that I mentioned, saying that according to uh, a guy from the Institute of Strategic Culture, which is where General Ivashov uh, works, that the U.S. is likely to attack uh, Iran and it's not just Iran with its regional allies of Hezbollah, Hamas, Syria, and so forth, but perhaps Venezuela would be in this somehow. If the U.S. decides to unleash Colombia against Venezuela, then you'd have uh, you'd have the beginnings of a world war. It would be more than even a very severe regional war in the Middle East. But I, the point I was trying to get to, though, is you look at WikiLeaks what is the the general burden what's the message that comes out of all these 90,000 low level dispatches basically three things the afghan war is hopeless gets you nowhere secondly that pakistan is treacherous they betray you they kill you they're enemies right so do whatever you can against the pakistani government but the other one is uh, Iran, that Iran is also doing everything they can to uh, to uh, uh, cause the uh, deaths and defeat of the U.S. forces in Afghanistan. I think this was very clear in the um, London Guardian version of these papers, right? Interesting enough that uh, Assange and WikiLeaks are able to get the New York Times and Der Spiegel and uh, the London Guardian to put this stuff out, which... If you've ever done anything, if you've ever had something, an important story that the U.S. government and the U.S. establishment and Wall Street didn't want published, uh, you know that you don't get it in the New York Times. Uh, Spiegel was famous for their hysterical attacks on anybody who didn't believe the 9-11 official story. They had a cover story saying conspiracy fanatics turned the world on its head, where they had the two two, uh, trade towers in New York City upside down and burning. Uh, And, of course, the London Guardian is the left-wing or center-left, I guess you'd say, of of, uh, British intelligence, MI6. And the London Guardian, I think, had the clearest. Their, Their summary articles were, you know, why Pakistan is betraying the U.S., and, Secondly, what what the Iranians uh, are doing, and then the, the, the top article, of course, was that why the Afghanistan war is essentially futile and already lost. So it, it fits in perfectly with with what's going on in the in the corridors of power.
0: Well, I was going to bring that up that this uh, head of WikiLeaks uh, Assange, I guess, uh, that he would have these three mainstream media outlets like. Uh, Uh, As you say, The Guardian, Der Spiegel, New York Times, he had these newspapers vet the leaks.
1: Right. Look, uh, this is now so absurd. Uh, If uh, Assange has servers, uh, the Department of Defense can destroy his servers within 30 minutes or, or less using the hackers they have, the electronic countermeasures that they have, they can unleash uh, all kinds of forces that can shut down websites, and again, during the nine eleven truth movement, we got to know what these methods were. Uh, some of them were administrative harassment, some of them were direct hacking attacks uh, under you know various kinds of cover. The other thing is the u s government could uh, could get him extradited uh, he He showed up in Britain and gave a press conference in London. Uh, on that very day, so he could have been uh, rounded up and taken into custody. Uh, I guess one of his people has been taken into custody, but there's no there's no uh, coordinated event uh, effort to, to do anything about about him.
0: Well, right, I was I was going to say here he is in London, in the middle of a police state, and they're claiming that he's wanted and they're after right. him. I mean, that's right. crazy.
1: It's this is simply part of his legend, right? Part of his cover story. It's it's indispensable for the dupes and gulls of the public to believe in Assange. They've got to believe that he's somehow being being persecuted by the U.S. intelligence community, which which is simply not the case. The other thing they could do to him is what they've done to so many people. They could subject him to illegal rendition, kidnapping, in other words, what they did to the imam in Milan, or dozens, scores, hundreds, as far as we know, uh, of other people. I mentioned the Milan imam because they're, they're You know, 30 CIA agents have been convicted in that one. It's the best documented one. What they would do is uh, grab him, drug him, push him into a a car, take him to a NATO base, uh, beat him up, torture him, uh, drug him again, put him on an airplane, and take him to some black site maybe in Eastern Europe or in Egypt or someplace in the Middle East. uh, And uh, that would be the end of Assange. So that does does not happen. Uh,
0: Or they could put him on a no-fly list, right?
1: Certainly they could, they could harass him. then the, the obvious other issue with Assange is he says that he, he, he's, a, he's this nomad right he's a picaresque agent and he flies around the world and he lives out of a backpack. Wonderful. who pays uh, the general impression that we get looking at the internet uh, based on published reports and uh, and other maybe unconfirmed reports, is that this is paid for by Soros. In other words, ultimately, this is the group of foundations around the Open Society Foundation and similar entities controlled ultimately by George Soros and his right-hand man, uh, Morton Halperin, and I would mention that Morton Halperin gives us a personal union between this current uh, mind control operation, because that's what it is, and the uh, Pentagon Papers of 1971, the famous Ellsberg Caper. Uh, remember that Morton Halperin, together with Leslie Gelb, worked in the Pentagon under McNamara starting in 1967 to assemble this history, I guess you'd say, of the uh, the, the Vietnam War, uh, which was then leaked by Ellsberg to the New York Times, and then when Nixon you know moved with uh, with various uh Injunctions to shut that down. It went on to the Washington Post and the Boston Globe, and ultimately, the U.S. government under Nixon lost that case. But Morton Halperin is the guy who, uh, essentially, you know, with uh, with Gelb and then Ellsberg came in, put this stuff together. So Halperin has not been persecuted. He's he's sitting as the uh, the right hand man there at the Open Society Foundation, and you've also got. Leslie Gelb became, for a while, the president of the Council on Foreign Relations. Um, so he was not persecuted either. Um, and we could uh, we could draw lots of parallels between them, and I hope we can later in the broadcast. But generally, it's the same idea. It's what is called in intelligence parlance a limited hangout. It's a way to say something good about somebody while you're pretending to be saying something bad. <laughs> uh, it's a way to say... Uh, uh, if, if, essentially, it's a way to say the United States should should really think about attacking Pakistan and Iran uh, while you're pretending to be, you know, a uh, anti-authoritarian uh, rebel and with posturing of the type that uh, that Assange does. It's disinformation. It is a uh, uh, self-exposure, I guess we'd say.
0: I'm speaking with economic historian and author Webster Tarpley. Today's show, the WikiLeaks Limited Hangout and the Coming War with Iran. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Well, everybody is, is saying that uh, calling Julian Assange the new Daniel Ellsberg.
1: Well, uh, here's what I would say. You look at the Pentagon Papers of 1971, and you will see that they were subjected to exactly the same kind of uh, selection and editing and uh, slanting that we see with this WikiLeaks uh, document dump. Uh, the, the Pentagon Papers of 1971 had nothing new in them. If you had been reading Le Monde of Paris or any of the Italian papers, and I say this as somebody who did do these things, did read the Italian papers and the Le Monde when I could get it, uh, there was nothing in the Pentagon Papers that you didn't know. You knew it all. So what was the big deal? Well, it was the government's own history, and it had some, some things in it that were, that were rather scandalous. Uh, but then you look at a, at a deeper level. What were the three things that were going on with the Pentagon Papers? The first thing is a complete whitewash of the CIA, that the CIA role in Vietnam is completely whitewashed and and sanitized. And that's interesting, because Ellsberg himself had worked in Vietnam. He had been a Marine. He had worked with General Ed Lansdale. And according to published reports that I've seen, he was part of Ed Lansdale's revolutionary development program, which uh, some people know under the name of Operation Phoenix. And what this was was the systematic assassination of those people who were thought to be Viet Cong cadre, communist cadre, guerrillas, and uh, really, in practice, what this meant was that if you could read and write, if you were a teacher, you were assumed to be a communist intellectual, and you were eligible for assassination. And this entire complex did not come into play. And again, Ed Lansdale, is, uh, that's General Y in Oliver Stone's JFK film. Ed Lansdale is the ugly American in uh, Letterer. Well, he's, he figures in Letterer and Burdick's Ugly American, and he's also the quiet American in Graham Greene's novel. He's a he's a CIA general, uh, but the CIA role is is completely uh, whitewashed in the Pentagon Papers. The second thing in the Pentagon Papers is the demonization of John F. Kennedy as the ultimate villain and aggressor in everything. An attempt to rewrite history in this way. Um, Essentially, we have Kennedy's uh, National Security Action Memorandum 263, I believe, is the number, which issued on uh, October 10th, 1963, called for the exit of all U.S. forces from Vietnam by the end of 1965. It was beginning after the 64 election, and uh, everybody, everybody home within one year. This is not mentioned. There's no mention of the Kennedy assassination. There's nothing about uh, any of the interfaces between Kennedy and the 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 people involved in the uh, in the war planning. Right, differences of opinion. Right, Kennedy's uh, desire to get out. This is all completely suppressed. So, uh, and it's very interesting. The people who came on the scene as the groupies and supporters of Ellsberg included uh, Howard Zinn. Now, the late Howard's in, but above all, Noam Chomsky. And you can look at Noam Chomsky. He has been arguing that same implicit line ever since. Uh, it was the line that Kennedy was an aggressor, that Kennedy wanted to continue the war in Vietnam, and for the defense of the CIA, naturally, Noam Chomsky says that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was a lone assassin who acted alone, and there was no conspiracy. And, of course, the conspiracy was the CIA. Directorate of Operations, the people that that Kennedy had been attacking. Kennedy had fired Alan Dulles, the head of the CIA. He fired Richard Bissell, uh, another top CIA honcho, and, and some others. But Chomsky has been arguing ever since that none of that ever happened. So he's still on the Ellsberg line, I guess we can say. The third thing that the papers did, right, in addition to whitewashing the CIA and demonizing Kennedy, the third thing was to drive Richard Nixon berserk, because in that time, uh, 1971, and during the course of the year, Nixon had been driven berserk by Jack Anderson and his um, running reporter, right, uh, Brit Hume, source eggnog, had been getting these papers. Saying, talking about this, uh, the so-called tilt crisis, the, uh, the 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 separation of Bangladesh from from the rest of Pakistan, which is interesting, they were they've always been trying to divide Pakistan into smaller uh, pieces, uh, and Nixon had been driven berserk by these leaks because he, of course, was a paranoid personality. He didn't like leaks, and Jackie Anderson and Britt Hume were publishing all these things from uh, from people inside the State Department, especially who didn't agree with with Nixon's. Tilt in favor of Pakistan under Yahya Khan because they wanted to use Yahya Khan as the entree to China for the China card, so there was this going on in the background now when the Pentagon papers come out and you see this in oliver stone 's Nixon movie, Nixon goes berserk again, and in this case, he orders the creation of the plumbers. in other words, the plumbers the Watergate plumbers are a direct byproduct of the Pentagon papers leaked by by Ellsberg. Now Ellsberg had worked not just for the Rand Corporation as a nuclear planner, and not just for General Ed Lansdale in Vietnam. He had also worked for Henry Kissinger as part of Henry Kissinger's staff at the National Security Council in the White House. When the Pentagon Papers came out, the plumbers were created, and the guy who was tasked with creating them was one of Ellsberg's colleagues, one of his co-workers, another member of Kissinger's staff, David Young, who created the plumbers, And who did he invite in? Well, he invited James McCord of the CIA, Office of Security. He uh, invited in Howard Hunt, another CIA stalwart. Right? Some people think he had a lot to do with the Kennedy assassination. And indeed, uh, Gordon Liddy of the FBI and God knows what else. Uh, And then when the time came to expose the whole thing, who led the charge on that? Well, it was uh, Bob Woodward from... The office of naval intelligence i guess we'd say somebody who's whose task had been to run the uh... the naval ship which would have been used as a seagoing command post for nixon in case of nuclear war meaning that he had to be kept up on all intelligence at the very highest uh, cosmic level so so this was watergate in a nutshell in other words it was a coup d'etat against the presidency and it was it was uh, welcomed by a lot of people and i think this is relevant for us today They hated Nixon, and I suppose we can see why you'd hate Nixon, of course. This is not hard to understand. But the idea of being blinded by hatred, never a good idea. Otherwise, you get so blinded by your hatred of Bush that you get Obama, or so blinded by your hatred of Obama that you get something even worse. Well, similarly back then, I think a lot of, um, you know, peace. Activists, anti-war activists, left liberals in general, were completely taken in by this uh, this Ellsberg thing. Um, this was uh, a part of of an establishment policy. What it, one of the things it also sought to do, of course, was to was to uh, essentially scuttle the Vietnam War. That this had become counterproductive. The world was moving on. It was time to to put an end to this. And uh, given the uh, the typical problems of American democracy, it's very hard to do that. I mean, de Gaulle found in France how hard it is to end the Algerian war under those circumstances, and he was a very strong leader. Uh, here in the U.S., you have this... this. Uh... Wall Street faction, rogue network faction in the background that wanted to weaken the presidency and end the Vietnam War at the same time. So the vehicle that they chose was the uh, was the Pentagon Papers. This time it's much worse. It's not ending a war. It's simply shifting from this emphasis on the Afghan theater into the emphasis on Iran and also on Pakistan. And I wouldn't rule out an attempt, even, to put the the Pakistan government under pressure uh, you can play Pakistan against Iran. Why not? You try to line up Pakistan with Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and some others, and play that against against uh, Iran, and then those Pakistani nukes can be working for you. They can eventually go to their targets in Iran. And I think that's, that's ultimately what's, what's being done. So when Ellsberg comes out, he says, uh, Assange is the new me. Assange is the mini-me. He's the new Pentagon Papers, and Assange glories. Assange says, "Yes, I'm the new mini Ellsberg. I'm the new, uh, I'm the new Pentagon Papers." Uh, And they're both right, provided that you know that the Pentagon Papers were, in short, a CIA op, and that uh, Assange and WikiLeaks are also a CIA op in this broad sense.
0: Now, I didn't realize that Iran figured so heavily in the WikiLeaks. Oh, yes. Well, now, uh, well, now there's also some new documents that WikiLeaks have put up. These are uh, uh, government-encrypted documents. What about that?
1: Uh, look, I think more than the, the details of what they put up and the sort of ins and outs, uh, we had, for example, for two weeks, the Pentagon said nothing. And now the Pentagon said, aha, you have 15,000 documents of ours, Then we want them back, uh, and you should give them back. Uh, We'll go through many iterations of this. It's all designed to keep the story in the public eye. It has not succeeded uh, nearly as well as the Pentagon Papers. Uh, But let me just a couple of more things on the the genesis of this. We have a figure called Cass Sunstein. And Cass Sunstein today, of course, is the uh, intellectual regulation czar of the Obama White House. Uh, and I would regard this person as a totalitarian thinker, in other words, a, a liberal, a totalitarian liberal, uh, perhaps in the, in the tradition of, uh, of Lord Keynes and some of these people in, in Britain. He's a great admirer of Jeremy Bentham, which I think is a very bad uh, philosophical pedigree to have. The first time I ever read about WikiLeaks was an article by Cass Sunstein here in the Washington Post on February 24th, 2007. And this was an article that said, great news, there's a new organization that's going to attack China. It's a group of Chinese dissidents with Western backers outside of China. And they're going to get leaks uh, that are really embarrassing to the Beijing uh, government. And uh, this is going to be a wonderful thing. It's called WikiLeaks. And indeed, that's That's where this seems to come from. If you look at the board of WikiLeaks, you will find a number of these very suspicious Chinese dissidents. We have... uh Wang Dan, who works for the U.S. National Endowment for Democracy, according to uh, reports published by Wayne Madsen on his Wayne Madsen report. We have this guy, Xiao Chang, of the University of California at Berkeley, who broadcasts on Radio Free Asia, which is reputedly linked to Soros and uh, perhaps funded by Soros. We have to also remember that uh, Xiao Chang is part of the International Committee for Tibet, These groups were mobilized at the occasion of the Dalai Lama, the darling of feudalists, mystics, and uh, Western elitists, when he came to the White House uh, and met with uh, Obama, albeit in uh, unofficial form. We've also got a guy called Kam Sitsang, who's also a big Tibetan activist. So you look at the WikiLeaks board, and you find a group of Western-backed, sort of U.S. intelligence community-linked, uh, Chinese uh, activists. Another figure on the board, Ben Laurie, uh, former security director of Google. Now, the genesis of Google simply it, there was a, a company called InQtel. InQtel was a CIA proprietary. The desire was to keep the U.S. Intelligence community up to date in uh, in IT and infotech in general. Um, Google has been the product of that. And there was even a, a, the uh, one of the U.S. Uh, satellite uh, mapping programs uh, called Operation Keyhole. The the uh, U.S. Uh, NSA program for satellite mapping was transferred. To Google, this was Operation Keyhole, and the money for that was provided, I believe, by by In-Q-Tel. Uh And lately, this year, as Google got into a big fight with China, uh, it essentially emerged that they were in a united front with the National Security Agency. That Google and the NSA were basically united in the struggle against China. So, um, and then again, this Soros. Uh, overtones of many of these figures. I think this is also quite quite relevant. And perhaps we should say something about um, Julian Assange himself.
0: I'm speaking with economic historian and author Webster Tarpley. Today's show, the WikiLeaks Limited Hangout and the Coming War with Iran. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. In that regard, Webster, you brought up Cass Sunstein now Cass Sunstein wasn't it part of his job with the Obama administration to cast dispersions on uh people who were investigating the events of September eleventh now right. hasn't hasn't Julian Assange made some comments himself about what he thinks yes, about nine eleven
1: yeah, he is, assange has made this statement in, in the last ten days where he says that nine eleven truth and nine eleven truth activists annoy him nine eleven truth annoys him so this is basically an argument saying the only conspiracies that are allowed that are admissible are my conspiracies, which are these low level things if if at all, but the big ones uh, are not approved. You can also see that out of this ninety thousand the peace document dump. There are no scandals. There's nothing in there about Bush or Cheney or Rumsfeld. Uh, there's there's no basis of any Nuremberg prosecutions against uh, Obama or um, against Gates or uh, uh, Hillary Clinton or any of these people. Right? Any Leon Panetta? There's, there's, there are no high level scandals. It's all essentially at this at this very low level. So I, I think what you're pointing to, and I'm, I'm glad you, you reminded me of it, Cass Sunstein had, had, in addition to heralding the coming of WikiLeaks when Sunstein was a professor at the University of Chicago, he's a friend of Obama from there, Sunstein then came out with this thing that you've got to disrupt the 9-11 truth movement and anybody who advocates conspiracies, and what, what they mean by that generally is anybody who declines to accept Official U.S. government or Wall Street media pervade explanations of anything are ipso facto conspiracy theorists, paranoid, and they have to be disrupted. And the way you do that, he says, is essentially in disguise. In other words, you do it covertly by going onto the Internet, creating sites that promote the cognitive disruption of those uh, movements or those currents of opinion, and it looks to me like WikiLeaks is essentially that. In other words, it fills the bill exactly in terms of what uh, what Cass Sunstein was talking about uh, before. Um, but perhaps now about Assange, um, I find him a strange uh, figure. I find him uh, bloodless, uh, emotionless. I find him extremely detached. Notice again, he doesn't like nine eleven 11 truth. And he does not advocate the ending of these wars. I mean, a simple demand of stop the wars, bring the troops home, is not shared by Assange. Assange has said in public that WikiLeaks has no opinion about whether there should be an Afghan war or other wars, but only that it should be done in the most humane possible way, which I find uh, a very weak uh, position, basically impotent in the extreme, and he also says everything should be transparent. Um, but, of course, the transparency seems to regard certain groups and not others. Um, we have, for example, um, Norm Coleman, a former senator from Minnesota, who was targeted, and this is coming from Wayne Madsen, targeted by the Soros interests, because Coleman was, was opposing the appointment of a certain Malik Brown from the U.N. to be the head of the World Bank. Uh, And uh, Coleman said, no, it has to be an American citizen. And at that point, the German uh, branch of WikiLeaks under a certain uh, Daniel Schmidt, which is probably a pseudonym, Daniel Schmidt came up with a whole bunch of embarrassing credit card materials from the Coleman campaign that were leaked. Uh, And now, of course, we have Al Franken, who's got that Senate seat. So Coleman was successfully defeated uh, in the process. The idea is if you're going to do disinformation – You have got to establish your credibility and your bona fides by putting out real stuff, at least some real stuff, uh, you know. But then you can mix in the disinformation and the special targeting once you've essentially duped a lot of people into thinking that you're the real thing. Now. With Assange, uh, what could the background be? Well, we find that uh, in his youth, and I'm citing now Wikipedia, just the Wikipedia entry for Assange's uh, biography, he was on the run for much of his youth with his mother and half-brother. The mother, after giving birth to Assange, had gone on to a second husband, I guess, Uh, And this second husband, the father of Assange's half-brother, was a member of a cult in the area of Melbourne, Australia. And this is the Anne Hamilton Byrne cult, B-Y-R-N-E. And according to Wikipedia, this cult uh, specialized in the administration of LSD and powerful psychopharmaca to very young children. And their method was to take a child of five to ten years old, uh, give them LSD, perhaps give them psychopharmic at the same time, and then put them into a dark room and maybe go interview them later on. Um, I I don't know whether uh, Assange himself has ever been through this. I think that's a that's an interesting question. But the the background in the Anne Hamilton Byrne cult, I think, is is relevant. Otherwise, we find that. Uh, Assange grew up as part of a touring theatrical company and that during his youth he attended no fewer than 37 different schools. So 37 schools, I guess that's a lot. So the idea that he that he's picaresque, that he goes from place to place as a nomad and lives out of a of a backpack or a suitcase, I guess that's uh understandable. He then emerges as a computer hacker uh in the 1990s. And I think we we need to to keep focused right now. The the main thing that's going on in the world is that the U.S. and Israel and, I guess, others, right, NATO countries, hard to tell exactly who, they're gearing up to attack Iran. And this is not the same old, same old, because there's a period of about two to two and a half years when that was not the case. Uh, You'll recall in 2007 there was the last attempt by The Rogue Network, the the group behind Cheney, Uh, they attempted and they commandeered a B-52 with six nuclear cruise missiles, and they took that from North Dakota to Louisiana. And that was on the way to the Middle East at the same time that the Israelis were about to attack Syria on the 7th of uh, September, 2007. That was the Rogue B-52. That attempt fell apart. That was a that was a, a hijacking of a nuclear-armed strategic bomber by the Cheney group. And uh, there has not even been a congressional investigation of what happened with that. It has been completely buried, because there was a case where you had uh, a bunch of rogue network characters caught in the act, uh, and they covered that up, and there was a special commission with James Rodney Schlesinger that purged a bunch of Air Force generals. There was a stand-down of the U.S. Air Force for one day. They fired the the head of the the Air Force member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. They fired the U.S. uh, Secretary of the Air Force, the civilian uh, commander, got rid of both of them. But there's never been a full airing of what happened there. Anyway, that was, I think, pretty much the last gasp on the attacks under Bush Cheney, because by then, in December of 2007, you had the national intelligence estimate coming out and saying, we state with high confidence that Iran has no... Zero nuclear program, weapons program. There is no Iranian nuclear weapons program. And that was the authoritative opinion of the NIE in December 2007. And that essentially ruled out any attack. What's going on behind the scenes now is that there's going to be a new national intelligence estimate. And uh, I think it's, it's pretty clear that this one is going to say we were misled, we were lied to, we were wrong. There is an Iranian nuclear weapons program. And in, in the essay that I wrote, I advanced the hypothesis that the, one of the ways they might very well try to motivate the change is to say, we were relying on this guy, Amiri, this Iranian nuclear scientist who, you'll recall, put a uh, a video on YouTube saying, help, I'm being held in Tucson, Arizona and I've been kidnapped, and I want to get out of here. And then he eventually did go back to Iran. What the U.S. will do with this case is he he was obviously somebody who had been brought here and paid a lot of money to say there is an Iranian nuclear program. But uh, that that is, is not what they're going to announce. They're going to announce that Amiri had been working for them in 2006 and 2007, and that he was a double agent, and he lied to the U.S., and he said, guys, there is no Iranian nuclear program, and they believed him. But now that they see he's a double agent, they're revisiting the, the question, and now they find that there is an Iranian nuclear program. So that was my prediction. And then, uh, interestingly enough, in the Wall Street Journal, about, uh, what, <laughs> a few days later, we find the following article. This is nine days after my article. Here we are in the Wall Street Journal on Friday, July 30th how the CIA got it wrong on Iran's nukes by Edward J. Epstein. Now, you may remember Edward J. Epstein. He is one of the main defenders of the uh, Warren Commission report on the Kennedy assassination, one of the main attackers of uh, Jim Garrison, the New Orleans district attorney, and his investigation into the uh, Kennedy assassination. And what he goes through here is, again, that Amiri was a double agent, and he lied to the U.S. And now that we know that he was a double agent, we've got to go back and change the NIE. And there's a whole um, cottage industry of neocons now who are eager to make a comeback, who are uh, pressing for various ways to get this new NIE. And uh, one such proposal is to have a, an alternative body, come up with an NIE. In other words, the the CIA NIE is not going to be good enough. What you've got to do is to get outside experts. And of course, that's Team B. That's what Bush uh, did uh, in 1976 when he was head of the CIA. He brought in a bunch of people, Richard Pearl, uh, Richard Pipes, uh, neocons, in effect, uh, maybe not called neocons then, but neocons, uh, who came in and gave the direst warnings about what the Soviets were up to, that there was a window of vulnerability and all the rest of it. So now the the neocons are pressing to have a new Team B. And indeed, as the war buildup uh, goes on, we see Team B, we see every old, discredited neocon parlor trick, every cheap parlor trick of of the neocons is now being dragged out. We have the uh, cover story in the Weekly Standard, written by uh, two weeks ago by Royal Mark Gerecht, uh, CIA veteran, saying, uh, Iran will be a cakewalk. <laughs> Same story that we heard. Uh, and uh, another
0: cakewalk. Another
1: huh? cakewalk. And, of course, the whole story with Amiri. Is that he's essentially a new source curveball, or at least he would have been a source curveball if he hadn't gone back to Iran. But they were paying him to be curveball, and then he turned into something else. But one way or the other, they were going to get out of him that there was an Iranian nuclear weapons program. Now, just on that, uh, the, one of the one of the more reputable sort of mainstream centrist. Iran experts here in Washington is a guy called Flint Leverett, and together with his wife, Judy Mann Leverett, they run the uh, Race for Iran website, which you can look at. They say there is no Iranian nuclear weapons program as far as they know. And uh, there is no proof. This is just like Saddam Hussein and the weapons of mass destruction. And it's the classical case, as the Downing Street memo said, right? This was the head of MI6 reporting back to, uh, to London saying, the facts and the intelligence are being fixed around the policy. So you're going to know that war is close, or at least one of the scenarios to get to war is that there'll be a new NIE, and it will say, we were wrong, we must now view with alarm that Iran is so close to getting a nuclear weapon that uh, that they may indeed, uh, you know, have it be- before we know it, and they'll-, they'll be, you know, they'll have a test detonation before anybody knows it. Uh, and when you start to hear that, that is, uh, that's a warning that uh, that the the attack is is close.
0: Well, can anybody start writing NIEs? I mean, this is supposed to be a- an official document, isn't it?
1: It is, but it's uh, now being. Uh, of course, it's always politically cooked. Um, it was politically cooked then, although in, the, in those days, it, I think that corresponded to the truth of the matter. That, that NIE of December 2007 was another way of saying the Bush-Cheney neocon faction is defeated. And we have Robert Gates, a Brzezinski man, as head of the Pentagon, and, and we're going we're gonna to deprive the neocons and the Israelis, for that matter, of the ability to attack Iran during the last year of Bush-Cheney. But now uh, the whole Obama experiment, right, the whole trilateral uh, obama uh policy uh, is not getting the results that they wanted. Uh, again, the Iranian color revolution is a complete failure. And now there are other things going on, right? There's also then um, the fact that you've got Turkey. Uh, escaping from U.S. control. The Turkish and Brazilian attempt to um, mediate the entire Iranian nuclear question has profoundly shocked um, the, the uh, State Department as well as the British, right? The idea that, that, that regional powers like Turkey would begin to uh, have something to say about peace in the world in general, or that Brazil would have something to say about Iran, I think for them is is a very unwelcome novelty. I think it would be good. It would get us towards a a more polycentric uh, world, less dominated by these five uh, permanent members of the UN
0: Security Council. Webster Tarpley, thank you very much.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it very much.
0: We've been speaking with Webster Tarpley. Today's show has been The WikiLeaks Limited Hangout and the Coming War with Iran. Webster Tarpley is an economic historian, author, and lecturer. He is author of Against Oligarchy, 9-11 Synthetic Terror, Made in the USA, and co-author of George Bush, the Unauthorized Biography. His latest books are Obama, the Postmodern Coup, the Making of a Manchurian Candidate, and Obama, the Unauthorized Biography. His prescient economic work, Surviving the Cataclysm, a study of the world financial crisis is now out in paperback. Today we discussed his recent article: Obama is preparing to bomb Iran. Visit his website at www.tarpley.net. That's T-A-R-P-L-E-Y dot Email him at tarpley at tarpley.net. Guns and Butter is produced and edited by Bonnie Faulkner and Yara Mako. To make comments or order copies of shows, email us at blfalkner at yahoo.com. That's B-L-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at yahoo.com. Or call 510-848-6767, extension 628. Visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.org. That's G-U-N-S-A-N-D-B-U-T-T-E-R at o r g. Hey yo, these are some serious times that we live living in, G. And our new world order is about to begin, you know what I'm saying? Now, the question is are you ready for the real revolution, which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now, if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, of your own cipher and be on the lookout for the spirit sniper trying to steal your life you know what i'm saying look what's inside yourself for peace give thanks live life and release you dig me you got me